So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, and uh, we're going to talk about a father named Jairus, and I want to read the text to you, and uh, many of you know the story. I think you're probably familiar with the story. If not, I'm encouraged that you're going to get to learn some things today. Luke 8 and verse 41 says this, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about, the tw- about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. And so, and so, man, tragedy has hit this home. But as he went, the people thronged him. And the woman, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent her, all her living upon physicians and could neither be healed of any, came behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood stanched or stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitudes throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touchest me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And the woman saw that she was not hid, and she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people what cause she had touched him, and how that she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace." And while he yet spake, there cameth one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them they should tell no man what was done. This morning I want to talk to you about being a father of faith. And, and this certainly is geared toward our men this morning, but I, I want you to know, look, if you're a lady, uh, you can't sleep for the next 30 minutes. You have to pay attention, all right? Uh, this, is, this is talking about being a child of God and, and living full of faith uh, in difficult circumstances. And uh, so let me pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, again, thank you for the morning. Uh, we rejoice in all that you're doing all over the world, in, in Africa and, and many other countries where we have missionaries. Uh, Lord, we're just excited uh, to be a small part of what you're doing, and we give you the glory for that. And this morning, I want to thank you for uh, just uh, the skit. Thank you for uh, a little bit of just laughter. Laughter doeth good like a medicine, and uh, it's good to see these guys use their abilities and their talents to, to bring honor and glory to you as we celebrate Father's Day. And this morning, God, help the Word of God have free course in our heart and life. Uh, help it not to return void. Speak to us because we need to experience you and hear from you today. And so bless us as we study. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of points about this father I think that are really important. You know, this, this story of Jairus shows up in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, three different times we'll kind of compare these passages to learn some things together this morning. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the father's priority. A father's priority. Uh, so the Bible tells us a little bit of introduction about this man named Jairus. The Bible says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. And what that means is, as a ruler of the synagogue, he would have been highly educated. He would have been a religious leader. He would have been educated in the scriptures. He would have also been a master of Israel. In other words, he would have been one of their religious elite leaders of that nation. He was called a ruler. We'll see in a second that that same phrase is equated to a master of Israel. 
in our education system, we have a very similar process. You know, we get an undergraduate degree. Many of us understand that. And then if you go on beyond that undergrad degree, the next degree you get is a master's degree. And then beyond that is a doctorate degree. And so, you know, there's another guy named Nicodemus in the Bible in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was also called a ruler of the Jews. In John chapter 3 and verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Later in that chapter, Jesus also calls him a master of Israel. And so just like Nicodemus, this man named Jairus was, was highly educated in the scriptures, worked at the synagogue, was a teacher of God's word. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question. When men meet other men, generally speaking, the first thing after we ask their name is, well, what do you do? What do you do? We find our purpose in what we do. We find our purpose in our job. Many times we define ourselves, you know, I'm an engineer or, or I'm, you know, a physical therapist or I'm a teacher or I work at a copper mill or, or you know, I'm a preacher, okay? I mean, yeah, you get that every now and then type thing. Uh, generally, we define our value and our worth and what we do Sometimes that, that, that job or that career becomes a priority for, for many of us, right? I mean, that's what we went to school for. We, we want to accomplish and do what we were trained to do. But I want to tell you that Jairus had a greater priority than his job or his ministry. His greater priority was the fact, number one, that he was a father and he had a daughter that was in need. Uh, this, this 12-year-old daughter that he had was a very sick little girl. As a matter of fact, God's word tells us that she was dying. And so God does tell us that he has the position of a ruler, but he has a greater priority. He, he has a greater priority because he needs Jesus to intervene in his family's life. And so, and so what we see is that in, in the verse, the Bible says that there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. The Bible tells us that he fell down at Jesus's feet. When you look at the book of Matthew and you compare this same story, Matthew 9 and verse 18 says that this certain ruler came and worshiped Jesus. And so as a father this morning, we need to understand our priority cannot be our profession. Our priority has to be worship because, because this man had a need in his home that only Jesus Christ could meet. And so the key principle I want to share with you first out of the shoot is this. Look, as a father, or you could even say as a child of God, as a Christian, personal worship of Jesus has to be my priority. He, it has to be a priority. And, and listen, this was a very educated man. He was a very skillful man in what he did. Sometimes our, our education and our skill level can, can bring us to a point of pride so much that we don't humble ourselves in our need for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen right there? Listen, we need the Lord to intervene in our lives. We need Jesus, and the way we get Jesus in our life and in our heart is humbling ourselves at his feet. And so listen, before we head off to the job, or we head off to the factory, or we head into the office, we need to take the position of Jairus, and every day, come to the feet of Jesus and humble ourselves. Because no matter what this lot in life has for us, no matter what our profession is, no matter what our priority is in life, it all starts with a right relationship with Jesus. We have to put our pride aside, and many times our profession aside as men, generally we're guilty of that. 
because we invest so much time and energy and resource into what we do. And we need to know who he is. And, and that's the key. There has to be a priority of worship in our life. And fathers, you know, we're going to read through this story. And here's a father that wanted Jesus to come into his home. Well, that started with his personal worship of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus could have never got into Jairus' home unless Jairus himself became a worshiper of Jesus Christ personally. And that's where all of our walks begin. We have to come to the place where, where man, listen, life gets out of control. He is, he is about to deal with a situation that he cannot handle. My 12-year-old daughter is dying, and I don't know what to do. And life is going to get you at some point where you face circumstances you can't handle. You need to come to the one who can, and his name is Jesus, right? And so we see a father's priority. Number two, we see a father's prayer. And if we pick it up in verse 42, we see this. The Bible says that when he came to Jesus and he, and he bowed down and, and worshiped at his feet, that he besought him, he besought Jesus that he would come into his house. Why did he do that? For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And, and so there's two things that this father asked of Jesus. The first thing he asked was, Jesus, will you come into my house? And I think as a father, that, that ought to resonate with us as men of God. Listen, we can humble ourselves before the Lord, and then we need to ask the Lord to come into our home. We just celebrated a family this morning dedicating their child. God's called the man to lead the home. The key, the key to God getting in our home is a father's prayer and a father's desire and a father's will to have the Lord Jesus Christ come into his home and have his way. It starts with us as men. And so, man, here's this father that's praying, Lord, he's beseeching him, come into my house. The second thing he does is he prays for his daughter. Lord, will you come help my daughter? She's deathly ill, and I'm an educated man. I'm probably well-respected. I'm, 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 I'm advanced in my career, but everything I have cannot fix this situation. It can't fix it. I need you. And so, and so Jairus was a, a man of prayer. He asked Christ to come into his home. He asked Christ for his daughter's sake. And so here's the key principle. Listen, the key principle is this. A father should be the catalyst for getting Jesus into the home. I'll talk to every married man this morning. Listen, if you are married, even if you don't have children yet, the catalyst of getting Jesus Christ into your home begins with you, man, father, leader. It starts with you. And, and our culture, man, is so backwards. It's so backwards because the devil's done such a good job of discouraging us men, thinking that we don't need Christ in our home. We're man enough. We can do it ourselves. We need the Lord. Man, I need the Lord in my home because I can't handle the circumstances of life without him. And you can't either. And so listen, a father has to be the catalyst for getting Christ into the home. It's not the mom's responsibility. It's not the children's responsibility. It's the father's responsibility. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, I, I quoted it earlier. It says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's our responsibility, men. That's our responsibility. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, you as the catalyst for your home will change the direction of your home, but it has to start with you. It has to start with you. Your home will never become the home God intends for it to be if your wife tries to be the catalyst. And it will never become the home that, that your home God intended it for it to be if your children are the catalyst for spiritual things. I mean, we have to be the catalyst of spiritual things 
in our homes. And so this man, we can learn a lot from him because he was a man of prayer. And he's humble enough to ask, Jesus, I need you in my home. It's out of my control. I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to start with you. Come into, come into my home and help me. Number three, we see a father's perseverance. We see a father's perseverance. Now, what's interesting, and I'm not going to read all the text again, but listen, as soon as he makes this request to Jesus, the Bible does say that Jesus begins to go to his house, but that he gets thronged by all these multitudes of people. Can you see the adversity that immediately he begins to face? He's trying to do the right thing. He goes to Jesus. He worships Jesus. He asks Christ to come into his home and to help heal his daughter. Time is of an essence, and it, it's an urgency. Please come. And all of a sudden, there's opposition. All these other people start thronging Jesus. I mean, I'm sure that father was like, look, I know you got problems, but this is way worse, Right? So, so the Bible tells us there's a woman that has an issue of blood, 12 years, and, and there's a lot of doctrinal significance. Man, 12 always represents Israel. These two women do represent or picture the nation of Israel uh, as we study this thing doctrinally. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. This father pay, fa faced opposition immediately after he tried to do the right thing. And you will too. You will too, fathers. You will too, men. And, and so here's what we have to understand. A father's faith has to per persevere. That's the next key principle. Our faith in Jesus Christ as fathers, it has to persevere. So when we worship Jesus and we pray and we ask the Lord to come into our home and, and help us lead and, and deal with the situations that we can't handle, you are going to face circumstances that would seem like Jesus just didn't get in there fast enough. And many times that's when we lose our faith. God didn't answer my prayer on the timeline that I thought God should have answered it. Anybody guilty of that? We're all guilty of that. And, and listen, this father persevered. Matthew tells us that, that he besought him greatly. Matthew also tells us when that servant comes from the synagogue's house and says, your daughter is dead, he says, why trouble the master any further? This guy... Despite the, 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 the detour and the unexpected circumstances of this other woman needing a touch from Jesus, this father is still in Jesus' ear, trying to get him to come. To, I, mean, I mean, literally, he's like, okay, I know you, yeah, but, but please, my daughter, my daughter. And listen, you as a father, I mean, really, what would you not do for your, for your child? I mean, I've got two girls, I've got an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, and man short of moving heaven and earth because I can't do that. I will do whatever I can do to get them whatever they need. And, and so you see a father's perseverance because even though Jesus isn't following his timeline and his schedule, he's got enough faith to believe that Jesus can help him. And that's what we got to have as fathers. We can't have a wavering faith. When that messenger came from the synagogue, that was the worst news that father is ever going to hear. Hey, your father's, your, excuse me, your daughter is dead. And the little jab at the end, don't even bother Jesus anymore. Are you kidding me? I mean, can you imagine his heart? Can you imagine his faith wanting to waver in that moment? Jesus heard that comment, and I'm thankful Jesus hears everything, because in Matthew 5 and verse 50, the Bible says that when Jesus heard it, when he heard that the daughter was dead, he answered to him, the father, and he said, fear not, believe only, believe only, 
and she shall be made whole. In other words, don't lose faith. If you can trust in me, you can trust my word, you let me handle it. You know, we'll get to the next point, but Jesus is the resurrection, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, Jesus is the one that has the power and the ability to raise from dead to life. And he does that physically and he does that spiritually. The issue wasn't Jesus' capacity or capability. The issue was a father's faith. And Jesus had to encourage him, hey, don't fear. Just believe. Just believe. And I think as fathers, man, many times, I know I do. I'll, I'll confess my faults. Many times when, when circumstances aren't exactly right, that's when my faith wavers. And i got to go back to who it is I trust and his word that cannot lie. Romans tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by God's word. And so, men, we have to have perseverance. You know, if you go home today and start praying for your family and praying for your home, that Jesus is honored and glorified, that your home becomes a house of God, it may not happen by tomorrow. It may not happen by tomorrow. And it may not happen by next week, and it may, ha may not happen by next month. But you have to not lose faith. As a man of God in your home, you cannot lose faith. When you lose faith, man, listen, all hope is lost for your home. I'm not saying your wife can't be a spiritual influence in your home. I'm just saying when the man loses faith, the home loses. We have to be men of perseverance. Number four, is this helpful? Man, listen, let, let's rejoice in what the Lord has for us. Verse 51, here's the fourth point. We're going to see a father's partnership. A father's partnership. So, so Jesus gets to his house. Thank God. After a minor delay and after some really bad news, your daughter is now dead. Thank God the story didn't end there. So the Bible says in verse 51, when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. I want to show you that this man, this man allowed other relationships to affect his life and his home. In other words, this father had partnerships that had a spiritual influence in his home and life. Does that make sense? This was not a man that said, you know what, I'm so full of pride that I don't need anybody. In our culture, we are so full of pride many times that we would say we don't need anybody. We don't need anybody else helping us in our home. We don't need anybody else leading our home. We don't need anybody else helping me through the, the, the difficulties of life. This father was not so prideful that he professed that. As a matter of fact, he was so humble, he realized, I need all the help I can get. I need all the help I can get. And, and I, I want to just help us understand this morning, man. Pride will destroy our home. We have to be proactive and humble as a father and appreciate partnerships and relationships that we can have with other people. So, so listen, let, let me just hit these bullet points real quick. You know, a prideful father is comfortable in his religion. But a proactive father realizes he needs resurrection in his home. You see the difference? A prideful father or a prideful Christian wants to keep Jesus out of his house. Because that'll be a Sunday morning thing that we go do, and then we'll come home. But a proactive father begs Jesus to come into his house. Because he realizes his need. A prideful father tries to live life alone because I don't need any other men relationships or male relationships in my life. But a proactive father, a humble father, embraces Jesus Christ and he also embraces his disciples. In other words, I need some men around me 
that love Jesus and love his word and can help me grow. And, and listen, if, you can be a prideful father and you can be a prideful Christian. And God would rather you be proactive and humble and appreciate that we need each other. We need each other, not just on Sunday morning from 11 to 12.15. Not just on Sunday morning from 11 to 12.15. I need you in my home. I need, I need you having a spiritual influence in my girls, just like Chandler Welford needs spiritual influence in his life. And these parents need spiritual influence in their children's life. We need that from each other. We have to have it. And so this father appreciated partnerships. And so here's the principle. As a father, I need to surround myself with a team. I need to surround myself with a team, which first and foremost includes Jesus. Can I get an amen? We have to get at his feet first. But listen, after I have that, I need to have my wife if I'm married. Because that mother of that maiden was in that home with Jesus and with those disciples. I need to make sure that my wife is with me and I'm with her as we serve the Lord together. I need a team that includes Jesus, my wife, and, and, and I also need other disciples of Jesus. I need disciples of Jesus in my home, in my life, for my sake and for my family's sake. Peter, James, and John. Those were the top three of the twelve I mean, they were the, the leaders of the disciples. They were the three that had more time, more experience, more teaching than any of the other 12. They were the top dogs. They were the top three. They were the studs. No offense. <laughs> I mean, all the disciples are awesome, but there's just something special about those three. And actually, out of those three, there's one that's really special. His name's John. And all those cats are in that house together. And, and Man, it just shows us that in our home, we have to have partnerships. We have to have relationships that go just beyond our immediate family. Man, if God gives you a wife, God gave you a help meet. If he gave you a husband, he gave you a, a leader, a, a, an example of Christ in your home. But, but even beyond that, you need more people. You've you got to have more people. That's why a church family is important. Well, this is pretty good. Y'all got another hour? Okay, so number... Number five is this. Let me, let me wind it down, seriously. Uh, I want to show you a father's permission. A father's permission. And we're going to pick that up in verse 50, 52. So they get into the home. And the Bible says in verse 52, And all wept and bewailed her. And, and what you have to understand about the culture is, in the, in the Jewish culture, when someone died, many times they would actually hire people to come in and to mourn and to, to make a big ado about the death of a family member. And so this home is full of people that are wailing and bemoaning and mourning, and, and, and that's just the culture that, we, that we're studying here. And so all wept, and, and of course, I'm sure the family is weeping, right? But he said, Jesus said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. <laughs> and, and I'm just telling you, man, that's kind of a weird part of the story because literally in the room, in the house, is the resurrection. He is the person of the resurrection. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to create, make, and sustain all things. And when he said, she's not dead, she's just taking a, a nap and we're about to wake her up, everybody just laughed him to scorn. Well, 
The Bible says in verse 54 that he put them all out. (laughs) And maybe you don't read the Bible with a sense of humor like I do, but I read it sometimes with a sense of humor, and I can just imagine Jesus hearing all this much ado about nothing and saying, y'all shut up and get up out of here. (laughs) I mean, that's in the Greek if you study it. Okay, so (laughs) he's in Jairus' home. But he's taking control of the home. And Jairus has gave him permission. You cast out whatever needs to be cast out and whoever needs to be cast out. And so here's the first principle. Here's the first point. Jairus gave Jesus permission to clean out his house. Jairus gave Jesus permission to clean out his house. I mean, these were people that were mocking Jesus. They were laughing him to scorn. They didn't understand that he is the resurrection, he is the life, and Jairus, this is his home, this is his house, he's the man of the house, but he said, Jesus, have your way. And Jesus said, you know what, there's some people that need to get up out of here because I'm about to do a resurrection, I'm about to do a miracle, I'm about to bless your family, and all the haters need to get on out. Jesus needs that permission in our life, fathers. He needs the permission and the allowance to take whatever is in our home that doesn't need to be there and send it out. And send it out. And listen, our home, okay, our home may be full of things that scorn against the Lord, that mock the Lord, that, that would mock who he is and what he can do. Well, you know what? Those things may need to go. And as a father, as a man, as a leader... You need to let Jesus have that control. He won't do it by force, but he will do it by permission. You know, when, when many of us have, you know, cell phones, smartphones, everybody's got an iPhone, Android, whatever. When you download an app these days and you install that app on your phone, uh, one of the first things it does is when you open that app, it asks for permissions. And it says, can I have access to your camera? Can I have access to your contacts? Can I have access to your GPS location? That's kind of a weird question, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're looking at this app, and you're like, man, why do you, why do you want access to all this stuff? No. <laughs> and then you realize the app has to have the camera to actually use it. I don't want to give you permission for that. And then you're like, I'll just delete it. You know, the Lord's a lot like that in our life. Many of us would say we want the Lord in our life. We just don't want to give him the permission. We, we don't want to give him the access to our life, to our Internet, to our television, to our habits, to our attitude, to our marriage, to our finances. Many times we don't want the Lord to have permission over those things because that means that the house is about to get cleaned up because the Lord's in the house. The Lord's in the house. Listen, we have to offer that permission to him. The second thing is, is that Jairus gave permission for the Lord to take his daughter's hand. I mean, he is the man. He is the father of this child. He is the one that is legally, spiritually responsible for her. But the Bible says that he took her by the hand and he said, Maid, arise. And the Bible says her spirit came again and she arose straightway. Let me tell you how that works out as a father. As a father, you allow the Lord to take permission of the spiritual climate of your home by offering him access to the spiritual needs of your family. Whether that's your wife, your children. Listen, you can't save your children from sin. Only the Lord can. 
But you've got you to give him permission to deal with their heart. You've got to give him permission to help them understand the ways of God, the things of God, the word of God, so that they can be changed. You've got to allow that. You've got to allow that more than Sunday morning from 11 to 12, 15. I mean, the resurrection is in the house. But the resurrection ain't going to happen without a father that's willing to pass off the permission to the Lord. John 11 and verse 25, you know, these people are mocking Jesus, and, and I just want to reiterate the point. The resurrection is an event, but more importantly, the resurrection is a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. You know, that, that young 12-year-old girl is a picture and type of us and our sin. Our sin is what ultimately leads to our death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. We can't raise ourselves from the dead, but the Lord Jesus Christ can. He can raise us spiritually, and it's a picture of salvation. Listen, some of us have kids that need to get saved in our home. We need Jesus in the house. We need a resurrection for our kids. Some of us, if we would be honest, we need a resurrection in our marriages. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if Jesus gets in the house. Some of us need a resurrection in our finances. Listen, the only way that's going to happen is if Jesus gets in the house and we give him permission and control. But if we will, man, he'll do the impossible. He'll absolutely do the impossible. Let me show you the last point and we're done. I'm going to show you a father's provision. Father's provision. And so the Bible says in verse 55, it says, Her spirit came again. She's passed from death to life. And she arose straightway. And he, Jesus, commanded to give her meat. I love this. I love this, man. This is so powerful. So the first thing that she needs when she, when she wakes up is sustenance. She needs food. She needs provision. Get this girl some meat, <laughs> right? You know, we're celebrating Father's Day, and, and, and fathers generally are like the, you know, the guys working the grill, right? Anybody grilling today, by the way? What time are we eating? All right, so anyways... I mean, I'm going to go home and take a nap and then figure out what I'm cooking later. You know, I'm going to sleep on it. Um, and then when I wake up, I'm going to have some meat. All right. I'm just going to illustrate the, the, the story when I get home. So don't miss the picture. You know, her resurrection is a picture of salvation. And she needed sustenance. She needed food. She needed provision. Listen, if anybody was going to give her meat, who do you think it was going to be? Whose house were they in? They were in Jairus' house. I mean, who's got the meat here? Well, it's the man of the house. The man of the house has the meat to give to his daughter. And here's the, here's the picture. Man, listen. Meat in the Bible is, is pictured as, as the word of God. It's pictured as strong doctrine. It's pictured as, as teaching. So Hebrews chapter 5 tells us this. Verses 13 and 14. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What this girl needed was meat, and she needed it from her father. She needed her father to give her sustenance and give her provision. Jesus came from a, a, a different place. Those disciples came from a different place. She's in a home that, that she needs provision from, her father. And I'm just telling you, man, listen, 
the same father that gave her the meat is the same father that should give our children the meat. We as fathers are responsible to teach our children. We are responsible to bring the meat, listen, of God's word into our home. That's not your pastor's responsibility. That's not your Sunday school teacher's responsibility. Men, it's our responsibility. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and if I hadn't got you mad already, I'll probably say it here. I'll probably get you here. Uh, it's not your wife's responsibility. It's your responsibility, man, of God. It's your responsibility, man, of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, we don't have time to, to unpack this, but the context of 1 Corinthians 14 is speaking in tongues. So I just want to make sure you understand the context before I read this verse, because you're going to read this verse and get really upset. Verse 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak. Okay? The context of this is not that women can't speak in church. And if that's your understanding of that, you need a good lesson in biblical hermeneutic to understand. That's not what the verse says. The context is speaking in tongues. But it does say... In verse 35, if they, if the women will learn anything, let them ask their husbands where? At home. In other words, men, we are called to provide the spiritual meat to our household. That's what we're called to do. We are called to provide the spiritual meat to our household, the spiritual meat of God's word. And I'm thankful that you're here. You need to learn that word of God, so that you can take it back to your home and raise your children and answer your wife's questions yourself. Yourself. Now, I'm a kind, gentle pastor. <laughs> Occasionally. <coughs> but don't be offended, ladies, if you ask me a question and I tell you, go ask your husband. Number one, that's good for you. Number two, it's good for him. It's good for him. Why? Because he needs to learn how to provide the spiritual meat of God's word for his home. So, so men, don't be eating off another man's grill unless he, he invites you to, and that's fine. Learn to cook it yourself. Learn to study it yourself. Learn to understand it yourself. We have a whole process at this church called discipleship. And that discipleship process is to help every one of us, man and woman, learn the Word of God so we can have a working knowledge of it. And then after discipleship, we have what's called ministry tools and training, where you get the tools and the training to do ministry because we don't want any of our people at this church to be biblically illiterate. We want you to be equipped to bring the Word of God, not just to your mission field. We want you to bring it to your home. Matter of fact, I think that's priority. It's priority. So fathers, listen. Let me ask you a couple of questions. We're done. We're on your dime now, but let me ask you a few questions. Number one, is worship a personal priority in your life? Now, now that, that question goes to all of us. We're talking about fathers this morning, but that question goes to all of us. Is worship a personal priority in my life? Am I humbling myself at the feet of Jesus consistently? Number two, if you're a father this morning, consider this question. Am I a catalyst 
for bringing Jesus into my home, or am I a hindrance? Am I a hindrance? God, help us not to be hindrances. We need the Lord to come in. Number three, is your faith persevering? I know some of us, man, we start full of faith, and listen, life doesn't work out the way we anticipate. And it seems like Jesus is busy with everybody else. <laughs> Don't let your faith waver. You continue to believe God and believe his word and trust that God can change your life and your home's life. Number four, who in this church are you partnering with? You remember we talked about those partnerships. We have to have each other. And so if you try to do this thing alone, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to fail miserably. And I'm not trying to prophesy that in your life. I'm just warning you that you need help. I need help. Man, when I have you guys in my home and you guys around my family and you guys investing in my children, I'm better for it. I'm better for it. And you are too. Does Jesus have full permissions in your home and in your life? That's a tough one, isn't it? We go through that app and say, yeah, well, I give, I give my camera permission, but not my microphone. <laughs> I give my contacts permission, but not my location. No, 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 no. <laughs> right? We kind of do that with the Lord, too. We shut some doors where he, can't, where he can't go. We need to let him have full permission in our home and in our life. And then lastly, what are we doing to provide meat for our home? The truths of God's word. Man, we got to get discipled. We've got to disciple others. We have to learn the Word of God systematically so that can, we can raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. All right, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. I appreciate you being here.